turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we're going to read the passage that we've been reading over and over and over again the last few weeks. We've been doing a series on the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, the last few weeks we've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which are the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, uh, it, it, well, let's read it, then we'll, we'll, we'll get into what we want to talk about tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin reading in verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for the common good. To one is given the Spirit by the Spirit, the word of wisdom, to another word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the workings, working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But that one and very same Spirit works all of these, dividing to each one individually as, as He will. Now we, we come tonight to the last of the, of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. The, we've divided them into three groups of three each. And as I've said to you earlier, you know, uh, we're, we're just going to, uh, I want to say it one more time, that this is not, I don't believe this is the, the Apostle Paul's trying to give us an entire list of all the gifts of the Spirit because there are other places where the Bible lists other types of gifts like Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, there's gifts there that are more offices or callings and that sort of thing. And then Romans 12, uh, there's a, a list of gifts there that, that we're actually going to begin to look at that for a couple weeks uh, and before we finish this out. We're not going to take any time on Ephesians 4 on this study because that's more about, you know, apostle, pastor, teacher. So that's a little bit different type of deal. But we are going to take some time on Romans 12 because uh, what, what we'll call those, and I've heard them called the, they're the motivational gifts. And they're the ones that are very, very closely related to the ministry that you'll be involved in in the local church on an ongoing basis. These in 1 Corinthians, they're the supernatural gifts of the Spirit that the Spirit uses when He chooses and with whom He chooses and in the moment He chooses. But in Romans 12, it's a little bit different and we're going to be dealing with those and probably take a couple weeks on that. But for the past few weeks... We've been talking about these supernatural gifts of the Spirit as they are listed here in 1 Corinthians 12. And we said that there are three groups of three each, at least is the way that I divide it. Um, there are the intuitive gifts, which are the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom and discernment of spirits. We've already talked about those. There's the, uh, there are the demonstrational gifts of healing, faith, and working of miracles. We talked about those last week. And then the final group of three are what we're calling the inspirational gifts, and those are tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. And those are the gifts we're going to zero in on tonight. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Now, um, what I want to do is I want to take these first two gifts together because obviously they work together when you're talking about tongues, interpretation of tongues. But let's look first of all at the gift of tongues. And, um, and I want you to notice, we pointed this out before, uh, that in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's listed as various kinds of tongues. Now, when you read that, there, there are two ways that you can look at that. It, it may mean that there are different kinds of supernatural tongues, that the gifts of tongues manifest itself in different ways. Or on the other hand, it may mean that there are different types of languages. In, in other words, earthly and spiritual languages. Now, the truth is, either way works. Either way, you know, either way you look at it, you could even say both and, I think, in, in those situations. Um, the, 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 there is not one unified, monolithic way of viewing and understanding the gift of tongues. But throughout Scripture, um, I can find, and I'm sure other people may find others, but I find that there are several ways in which the supernatural gifts of t gift of tongues seems to be used. One that probably being an assembly of God, a Pentecostal church that we are most familiar with, one is, is at the point of baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when the people in, in Acts chapter 2 received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house, when those people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Cornelius' house, they were told that they spoke in tongues. Then again in Acts chapter 19, there were, there were men in the church in Ephesus who who had never really heard about Jesus, but, but when, uh, when they heard about Jesus and Paul uh, uh, prayed with them and led them to the Lord, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? They hadn't, and he laid hands on them, and they, they were uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. So we see 
that, that the Bible tells us that there is a, a gift of tongues given at the moment of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to come back to that. Uh, let's just leave it for a minute because uh, that's just one of the ways that tongues can manifest itself. We're just going to list them and then we'll come back to them. The second way is, is through prayer, through de just devotional prayer. And in this case, it requires no interpretation. Uh, Paul said in, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he said, I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words that I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words that I understand. And, and so there are times when those who pray in tongues may use their, their gift in, in private devotions. They, they don't need to say it out in front of anybody. They, they, they pray in tongues privately, and I'll come back to that as well, but we're just listing them. Third manifestation of the gift of tongues is for a public message in tongues with interpretation. And that's the third category. And I want to say this, a public message in tongues must always be accompanied by the interpretation if it's a message in tongues, always. And I'll come back to that one too. The fourth one, and this is one you don't hear about as often, is when a person supernaturally speaks in an earthly language that he or she has not learned by any earthly means. It does not come to him or her through lessons or through intellect or experience or any other thing. He or she just simply communicates in that language. And we'll come back to that as well. So let's look, look a little more closely at these four. The first one, the gift of tongues at the moment of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, there's a lot of people in the world today, in the church world, that really struggle with this on, on, on both sides of the aisle, as it were. You know, uh, and, and I believe that there are, are two equal and opposite errors with respect to speaking in tongues at the point of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And one of those, one of those errors is to say this, that, that that was a gift for another time. They, they say it's happened in the book of Acts, but it's not, it's not to happen again. Therefore, we are not ever to expect uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be accompanied by speaking in tongues ever again. Now, I'll say this. When you look at Scripture... That's, that's, that's patently absurd because it's, it's intellect, intellectually indefensible simply from Bible study. Uh, it's spiritually impoverishing. It, it takes away from people the gifts of the Spirit, which are to be continuing even to this day. And furthermore, it denies the evidence of Scripture over and over and over again throughout the New Testament. There are frequent occasions when people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and with some level of spontaneity, they spoke in tongues, and, and there's no scripture anywhere to say that the gift of tongues has disappeared in the modern church. Um, most people who argue that will look at 1 Corinthians 13, and they say, uh, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is imperfect will be done away with. And they say, well, it's that they say the scripture is what is perfect, and it came, and so now we don't need those things anymore. But when you look at the context of 1 Corinthians 13, when it says that, it's clearly talking about when Jesus returns. That's when it says that, that we'll, we won't need tongues and interpretation and word of wisdom and none of those things anymore. Uh, but what happens here in this era is that people who have never experienced it uh, deny it based not on scripture or not on intellect, but they deny it based on their own experience. Now, I've seen the same thing happen with miracles. People say, I don't believe in miracles because I've never ever seen one. And, and so they say, I don't, I don't speak in tongues, therefore I don't believe the tongues are valid. However, I learned this a long time ago, that just because the train doesn't run past your house doesn't mean the train doesn't exist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, the gift of tongues is real, and it's a viable gift for the world today, and it is associated throughout Scripture on multiple occasions with the moment of people receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, I spoke in tongues. Now, now, the other side of this error is the opposite, and it can become harsh and legalistic and dogmatic, and it's a demand that we place on God and on others to always do the baptism of the Holy Spirit in everybody the same way all the time. Now, the problem with that is that, that folk are different and, and God is infinitely creative. And the, the truth is, God knows you better than you know yourself. So you can say, you know, you say something like, well, 
you have to be in an altar and somebody has to lay hands on you and, and you've got to be kneeling and then when it comes you have to shout and you have to jump up and down and you have to speak in tongues fluently and loudly, loudly and, and, uh, and, it's, and, 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 they, and they say, you know, this is what happened to me, this is what I've always seen, so it has to happen this way. Well, listen, that may have been your experience and thank God for that moment in your life. However, sometimes God does things differently in another person's life. You know, I've seen God baptize people in the Holy Spirit in so many different ways. I've known people just like that who were around the altar praying and somebody laid hands on them and, and the power of God came upon them and they were instantly overwhelmed and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And, I, and I've known other people who were, who were quietly praying, sitting in their car in a driveway when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it was a peaceful, quiet moment, nothing overly emotional, but it was still just as real. You know, I, I, I heard about a Methodist pastor in Florida who went to visit an Assemblies of God pastor. Uh, and he wanted to ask him and have the pastor pray with him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that, that Assemblies of God pastor prayed with him in his office. And the Spirit of God came upon that Methodist pastor. And, and he just began, in that moment, just began to weep and began to, to praise God. It was just this really beautiful, really powerful moment. And then that Methodist pastor, he began to leave but he got as far as the secretary's desk and, the, and he came around, came, turned around and came back to the, to the uh, Assembly of God pastor's office, stuck his head in there and he said, hey, what about that tongues thing? And the, the Assembly of God pastor just looked at him and said, brother, relax. God's clock isn't always your clock. Just relax. He said, when that gift comes into your life, will you call me? Mr. Pastor said, he would. Well, that Methodist pastor called him the very next morning. He, he said, I went to sleep last night and I woke up at about 2.30 in the morning and I was lying flat on my back and my arms were straight up in the air and I was speaking in tongues. Now, I don't know why it happened like that for him. I don't know why, why God chose to do that. Maybe it was because I don't know. I don't know. I'll be the first to tell you. There's a whole lot of stuff that I don't know. If you want a preacher that knows everything, you got the wrong boy. You know, I'm telling you that right now. But maybe, maybe it was because he knew that he had, uh, uh, that that intellectual, overly educated Methodist preacher had to be put to sleep. He needed to be anesthetized. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I'm not telling you that's what it was. But maybe it was. I don't know. But, uh, but you know, that, that's just, the, the, it, it's different for different people. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you that you you may, for example, you may have had a very emotional experience in that moment. But that doesn't mean it has to be emotional for everybody. Some, some people simply receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a, as just receive it as a gift of faith with little, little emotion but with great power. I, I mean, let, let me ask you, how many of you have ever uh, seen uh, anybody receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fall down? Anybody ever seen that? Yeah? I didn't fall down. But some do. You know, how many of you have ever seen someone receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they laughed? You ever seen anybody? Isn't that funny? That's just hilarious. You know, I did not laugh, but, but some do. How many of you have ever seen somebody receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and cry? I cried. <laughs> I did. I mean, it was a, uh, at a, uh, Holy, uh, Southern Missouri youth camp when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in June of 1980. And I mean, I wept and wept and wept. And I wept that night. I wept every night at the altar that week at camp, and and I I, uh, I wept every 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 uh, time I read the Bible when I I had the red letter edition, and every time I get to the red letter words, I'd start weeping again. You know, it was just every oh, every time I prayed, I was weeping. I just had a lot of stuff stored up. I guess I needed to weep out a little bit. But you know, and, and I've known people, uh, I've known people that that cried like me, and I've known people that. Woke up speaking in tongues. They've been seeking this gift and hadn't received it. And then all of a sudden they woke up with it. And I've known other people that just, just started speaking in tongues. And there was not, not any great emotion in that moment. And all I'm here to say is, whatever it is, whatever is going on in your life, I'm, I'm just here to say, relax. Just, just relax. God is good. And the Holy Spirit knows what you need and when you need it better than you do. So, so, 
you know, don't write hurt on your own experience and say, well, it's just not as good as somebody else's. And then, and then before God, don't write hurt on anybody else's experience at all and say, well, that's just not valid because it wasn't like mine. So anyway, now the, the second way we may see the gift of tongues is in private devotions. Now, this is a particularly sweet manifestation of the gift of tongues. Uh, the, the use of the gift of tongues is uh, in this setting, in our prayer time, in our prayer life, in our devotional life, is sort of a continuation of the gift of tongues uh, that we received at the moment that, that we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, so when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you receive that spiritual language and then you begin to pray in it during uh, your private times with God. And so I, I want to I just take a little bit to just share a few thoughts regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in tongues with the evidence of speaking in tongues because some of us may be thinking, okay, you know, I want, I want to have this in my prayer life. I want this to experience this in my life. Well, first of all, what is happening? What is happening in the gift of tongues? You know, people talk about it from a dogmatic point of view or from a, a doctrinal point of view, but, but they don't always talk about it from a, from a dynamic point of view. What is happening? What's going on when somebody speaks in tongues? Because there's a lot of people, you know, that, that have never experienced it. And they think, you know, they're seeking and they're waiting for God to just kind of grab their tongue and, and shake it and, you know, yabba dabba do, you know, make him say stuff. You know, he's going to force it, you know, like squeezing a toothpaste tube. He's going to squeeze it and it's going to come out of you. Uh, but, 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 you know, here, here's, here's what people have asked me over the years a lot of times. People say, they'll say something like, I spoke in tongues the other night, or at least I think I did. Or, or they'll say, I almost did. I felt like I was right on the verge of it. But, but they say, you know, I'm just not sure whether it was me or whether it's God. Any, anybody ever struggle with that? You can be honest. You can be honest with that. You know, have you ever known somebody that struggled with that? I'm not sure whether it's me or whether it's God. Well, here, I have the answer for you. You ready? The answer is yes. <laughs> L listen to this. Every gift of the Spirit must have an operative God and a cooperative human agent. See, so, so God begins to work, but you do the speaking. God, did, and we're going to talk a little more about that. Every gift of the Spirit has to have an operative God and a cooperative human agent. So, so take, for example, another illustration. Take, for example, the gift of preaching. I don't know about you, but I believe that preaching uh, can be a gift from God. I believe that. I've heard men preach uh, just so giftedly. I've heard the gift, of, the, uh, the gift of God flowing from the pulpit when it was just absolutely stunning. But, and on the flip side, I've also heard uh, men without anointing or without unction, without any gift of God, labor in the pulpit until everybody thought they were going to die. You know, you've been in those services, I'm sure. It's a gift from God. It doesn't always have to do with intellect or skill or ability or anything else. In fact, I, I, I've sat under, uh, heard uh, men preach who had no or, uh, formal education, who uh, maybe their, 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 their grammar wasn't... Uh, technically correct but they had a gift for communicating the gospel and it was powerful uh, however suppose that i went into the the pulpit on sunday morning and i said god i thank you for the gift of preaching and I said, I'm ready this morning for you to just bring a sermon up out of me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand right here in the pulpit until you just seize a sermon right out of my innermost being. I'm ready, God. Now manifest the gift. Now, how many of you believe you're going to hear a sermon that day? Nope. It's not going to happen. You know, a, a Quaker asked John Wesley one time, he said, If you're moved by the Holy Spirit, will you stand and preach? And Wesley said, I'll stand and preach. I will be moved by the Holy Spirit. There's an action. This sounds like the distinction may be subtle, but it's very profound. Uh, uh, part of the dynamic of any gift is that if I'm going to be operating in that gift, I must cooperate with God. I have to. Uh, there must be some part 
of my, my human agency involved. I work, I prepare, I discipline myself, I outline these sermons, I pray to God, and then I stand up and speak. And in that, in that moment of standing up and speaking and, and the preparation and doing what, I, what I'm called to do, then I stand up and speak and I believe that the gift will manifest, it manifest it through itself through me as me. So the, the, the gift, of, by, by the way, I, was, I say through me as me because the gift uh, of preaching is not going to sound the same through me as it will through other gifted men. Because we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more maybe another time, but when the Holy Spirit moves, he, he comes through you as you. He doesn't change your personality. He doesn't make you into somebody else. He's going to use your own vocabulary. He doesn't just suddenly plant into your brain some, you know, theological uh, uh, vocabulary that you can use. He, he uses you, your personality. I mean, you can see that in Scripture, all the writers of Scripture who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and yet you can tell when they're, many of them, when they're writing, they have a different style than somebody else. It's still the inspired Word of God, but God used their, their, their education, God used their personality, God used who they are, and it shaped, it shaped the message. So, so anyway, but, but regardless of it all, I have to cooperate in it. Now, I want you to translate that concept of preaching and, and the gift of preaching, translate that back to the gift of tongues. Because here's what I believe. I believe that there are many people who could speak in tongues who won't because they're afraid of the human element in themselves. They're in the spirit, they are in prayer, they are worshiping God, and, and, and as they're doing this, a couple of syllables come into their mind, and it just comes into, the, into their thoughts, and, and, and then we say in that moment, I'm not saying that, that's just me. I'm just making stuff up, I'm not going to say that. And then they wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And eventually they pray and they say, God, why won't you give me the gift of tongues? Why won't you do this in my life? And he says, I have. Why won't you speak it? See, many times if that person will just start with whatever the Lord gives them and speak it out in faith, then over, the, over time, God will mature that gift, that vocabulary will expand it may start with a couple of syllables but you just do what he gives you and you speak it so someone says you mean that a spirit-filled believer can choose to speak in tongues yes absolutely Absolutely. All it takes for me in just a second is to align my spirit and say uh, with, the, with the will of God and, be, and, 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 the, and I can begin to speak in tongues just uh, in an instant. Because listen, if I have to wait to rev myself up to a fever pitch and, and I have to fall on the floor foaming at the mouth before I can speak in tongues, if I have to get myself revved up emotionally, then that just makes a mockery of the entire 12th chapter and 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Yes, I can choose to speak in tongues, which, by the way, that also means that I can choose not to speak in tongues. You, you understand what I'm saying? The, 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 for, chapter 14 tells us the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, God's not going to force anything. Uh, you have the choice whether to speak or not to speak. So if you've never prayed in tongues... If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you would love for God to add that to your to your repertoire, it, it is useful. It is a useful gift for prayer, for intercession, for building yourself up, for spiritual warfare. Then, then if that's what you're longing for, then sometime tonight, then I, I encourage you to just get all alone with God. Nobody watching. And, and remember this in that moment when when. Uh, when, when in the past when you've just hesitated and you say, I don't know, is it me or is it God in that moment? I want you to remember this when you're seeking him. God will never laugh at you. Your mother-in-law may laugh at you, but God's never going to laugh at you. You can begin to speak that out in faith and understand that God's not going to say, that's a good one. <laughs> Listen, get all alone with God and ask him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then let those syllables come to your mind. And then begin to speak them out in faith. Because listen to what he said in Scripture. 
Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Okay, now, let's, let's stop there. Everybody here, outside of the blood of Christ, whether you like it or not, we're, you're evil. Now, now, the blood of Christ changes that. No, I know, no, but he's saying, listen, you, you, have, you're, you're, you have been broken by sin. You have, sin has marred your life. We all know, I'm talking about, you know, we know the blood of Christ changes that, makes us brand new, all of those things. But he's saying, listen, if you, being born into this world like you are, know how to give good gifts to your children. And he, he goes through before this, he goes through this list of saying, you know, if you have a child that's, that's well, I'm going to paraphrase it, okay? If you have a child and says, Mama, I want a pancake, you're not going to give them, uh, I started saying waffle, but that's not, really doesn't work. Uh, you're not going to give them a scorpion. He's saying, listen, if, if, you know, if you as a good parent, when your child says, would you give me this that I need, this, this something that's good for me, as a parent, you're not going to give something bad for them. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So listen, he has promised to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit if you ask him. But here's what we got to remember. We receive the promises of God through faith. See, we get this idea with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we have to get down and get, you know, worked up. And that's where we get around the altar and we get everybody all confused because you got, you know, you got Sister Farkle on one side over here. And she's saying, just let go, brother, just let go. And then you, you got, you know, Sister whatever her name is over here on this side. And they're yelling, just hang on, brother, just hang on. And the person in the middle is going, I don't know what I do. And we, we get this idea that we have to just get it all worked up and get everything perfect and the music's got to be just right and, and we got to have it every, at a, this fever, emotional pitch that's going on. Uh, but, but, but that's not how we receive any other promise of God. You know, the promise for salvation, you don't have to get worked up emotionally before you can, you can receive that promise, right? It, 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 and, and it's the same with this. You know, we, we just receive the promise through faith. That's how we receive every promise from God. Through faith. So when you ask him for the gift of the, of, of the Holy Spirit in your life, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, we need to understand. He wants you to have it more than you want to have it. He wants that for you. He's not going to hold it back and, and say, well, I've got this wonderful gift. You can't have it though. That's not what he's going to do. You know, but now I'll add this. I'll add this because I think sometimes this is what blocks people who are seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'll say this. Don't seek tongues. Seek Jesus. Uh, see, because sometimes we say, Lord, I want the manifestation instead of, say, of the gift, instead of saying, I want the giver of the gift. And, and, what, and the problem is, if you're just seeking tongues... You know, even if you, even if you receive that, then what happens is you say, oh, I got it, I'm done, I'm not, I don't have to deal with that anymore. But, but, but seek Him, seek after more of God, seek the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life in greater ways than you've ever, ever known. In fact, it really comes down to learning how to surrender yourself more and more to Him, to surrender wholeheartedly to God. It's, it's about giving yourself to Him because you know, listen, baptism is really simple. When we th talk about baptism, the word means to be immersed. So when you're, it's water baptism, you're immersed in water. When you're talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's when Jesus takes you and immerses you in the Holy Spirit. Where now it's not that you've got the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, it's got you. So it's about surrender. Now, I want to say this too. I've heard other people say in that moment, well... Maybe it's not me, maybe it's not God, but what if it's the devil giving me those words? What if, it's, what if it's a counterfeit? And to that I would say this. Let me ask you this question. Do you really believe that your gracious, kind, good, heavenly Father would allow the devil to give you a counterfeit when you're asking for him for a gift that he promised to give you? The devil is not strong enough to pull that one off. That's why you have to act in faith. And you begin to speak out 
whatever comes to your mind, those syllables that may sound silly to you. I, I've prayed with teenagers in my years as a youth pastor, and I, I've seen them at times right in that moment when it's about to happen, and they begin to laugh, not in the spirit, but because it sounds so silly to them in their mind. But that's that act, that, that step of faith where we say, I've asked for it, I believe he's giving it to me, so now... I need to take a step of faith and speak out what's coming to my mind. See, that's where you have to do the speaking. And if you will, if you will do that, then, then, and, and you'll trust God with your doubts, then he will fill your spirit. More accurately, he will, you will be immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He will clothe you with power from on high to be his witnesses to the world around you. And I want to say this as well. Um. You know, if, if you just have a few words or you're just kind of starting out in this thing, I want you to understand your proficient, proficiency in your spiritual language has nothing to do with the power with which God will clothe you. You, you may be just uh, in the beginning stages of learning how to flow in this uh, gift of spiritual language, but that does not mean that the power of God is somehow choked in your life until you get better at it. Not at all. In fact, if that were true, that would mean that you are somehow controlling the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and he's God. You, you don't control him. You know, uh, Dr. Ralph Wilkerson, a pastor for many years out in California, he prayed with a, a Methodist preacher some years ago back in the, in the charismatic renewal when a lot of Methodist preachers were, were being filled with the Spirit. And it, he prayed with him to receive the baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then a few weeks later, Dr. Wilkerson was asked to speak at a Holy Spirit conference, and so he decided to take this Methodist pastor along with him. And uh, when, when he got finished speaking, he, he had to get ready to close it out, he just said, let's just stand up and praise the Lord. And when he did, this, this Methodist preacher jumped up to his feet and just started at the top of his lungs. And please don't, this is, I'm not, I don't mean this in any way, uh, this, is, this is not sacrilegious in any way, but he just basically just started saying, Abba-dabba, 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 Abba-dabba. And Dr. Wilkerson thought to himself, oh, no. I mean, he was just trying to be so intelligent and trying to communicate with these Methodist preachers who are all, all very well educated. And that Methodist preacher just kept praying like that. And when he finished, Dr. Wilkerson stood, stood at the pulpit and he was about ready to have a closing prayer and let everybody go, ho go home. And in that moment, everybody in the room just fell down on their knees, weeping and crying. It was a move of God in that place. Well, afterwards, he went around asking some of them. He said, what? What broke you? What happened there? What, what, what caused that breakthrough? And they said over and over again, oh, it was when that Methodist preacher began to pray so beautifully in the Holy Spirit. And Dr. Wilkerson, he said, I wondered if we were all in the same room. <laughs> because he said to him it sounded so infant, almost infantile and, and just primitive. He just, he'd never heard anything quite like that. And, but, he, but here's the point I'm trying to make. You, you can't just explain the whole super, the supernatural element of this thing. You know, that, that it's not about the, the, the three words that you know in, or that, that he has given you in your spiritual language. It's not about whether you're fluent or you've prayed in tongues for 20 years or, or you're just starting out. The, the power of the Holy Spirit was not dependent on the maturity of the gift in that Methodist preacher. However, he still had to stand up and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that moment. There's a part of this thing where we're to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And as we do that... Uh, uh, it releases the power of God to do some powerful things in a certain way. And, but, it, but it happens if we'll come to the place where we won't be too embarrassed to do it. Now, there's a third way in which the gift of tongues is manifested. And, and that's in public proclamation with an interpretation. Now, we could talk about this for a long time, but when it comes to the manifestation of the gift of tongues and interpretation... I want to lay a little bit of foundation. First of all, Scripture gives us some very clear guidelines. First of all, we're told that there should never be more than three in a worship service. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, If anyone speaks in an unknown tongue, let it be two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. So the, the, there should be one message in tongues followed by an interpretation, not several followed by several interpretations. 
uh, a message in tongues given publicly should always be followed by an interpretation. Now, I know immediately, immediately what goes to some of our minds is we think, well, wait a minute, there have been times when I have been in a service and there was no interpretation. Well, I, I believe uh, there, there are different things. Number one, uh, it's possible that the, the Lord was trying to give the interpretation to someone and they just never came to the place where they had enough faith to give in. Number two, sometimes it's not a really a message in tongues. It's just somebody who's just so overwhelmed by the presence of God that's an overflowing heart of praise. And it's not really a message. It's just that their praise is exploding out of them in a sense. But, but if it is a message in tongues, it should be, always be followed by an interpretation. I'm going to deal with the gift of interpretation of tongues in a moment. But I want to I'm going to point out, out a couple more things about this. Number, the second guideline that scripture tells us it should be done decently in order and submitted to the authority that is present in the worship service now that, that is to say if someone stands to speak in tongues and somebody who is an authority in the worship service that day whether it's a pastor or whoever it might be says not now I love you and I appreciate you but 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 this is not the right time well listen in that moment Instead of just swelling up and getting all prideful and hurt and rebellious and, and getting a spirit of rejection on you, in that moment you have to say to yourself, this person who is an authority may know something that I don't know right at this moment. God may be saying something to them that I don't know he's saying to them right at this moment. Uh, now, the, to be able to say there, there may be something happening, some spiritual dynamic I'm not aware of, something going on that I don't know about. And, and so I'm going to submit to this authority gently and graciously and humbly, and I'm going to be quiet now. That, that has to be done. Otherwise, uh, you know, if you don't have that, you're going to have confusion. The third thing about it, uh, the guideline is, I would say this, wait before you plunge in when speaking in tongues publicly. Move, move carefully. This is true, as I've said, with many of these gifts. Move carefully. Move gently. Uh, I, I think that sometimes, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share with you very openly, very humbly, so don't get mad at me. Um, and if you do, Jesus said you have to forgive me anyway. But uh, every time, here, here's the thing. Every time, say it this way, every time it gets quiet in a worship service, it is not a signal that somebody has to speak in tongues. You know, uh, sometimes I, I think Americans are so afraid of a little moment of silence in church that we act like a bunch of hyperactive kids. We just can't stand it. We feel like, well, it's quiet, so I need to do something. You know, I, I remember there was a time when I was in college. Uh, one semester, there was one student there, and uh, every chapel service. Now, we had chapel service every single day. And every chapel service, at about the same point in the service, every single day, he would start belting out some, some new pro word of prophecy. Uh, and, and, and it just got to the point where everybody knew. As soon as he started, everybody's like, oh. Because, because everybody knew this is not right. Now, he had a good heart. He, was, he didn't, wasn't doing it rebelliously. But there was one, one day in a chapel service. I remember this, uh, the, the leader was one of the professors. He was at the pulpit at the time, and he had been leading worship that day. And he said, and, and I mean, it's just a, a holy stillness just settled on the chapel. You've been in those services. I mean, some services, you're just shouting and jumping. In other services, it's just a holy presence where you're just almost afraid to even look up. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's just a hush. And he felt directed to the Lord, and he was the person in authority leading the service. And he said, listen. I feel like we need to just be quiet before God for the next, whatever, couple minutes. So it got real quiet. Hadn't been 10 seconds. And this guy starts up again. Well, I respect that professor because you know what he did? He said, sir, I'm sorry, but you're out of order. You need to be quiet. And you know, later in the day I saw him and he had a great attitude. He said, he said, I don't know why I did it. He said, I knew I shouldn't have. I knew I was out of order, but I did it anyway. And he had a great teachable spirit. But, but sometimes that's where we are, you know. So, so you, you, know, you get to a place where you're just, there's just this beautiful sense of God's presence. And someone thinks that there, there must be a message in tongues in that quiet moment. Now, now listen, I don't want to inhibit you or make you self-conscious. But, but I, I don't know how to share this. But to just say it honestly from my heart, there, there are times 
Listen, there are times when, it, when it, it moves that way, and I sense, you know, that this message in tongues that's being given is so right. It's just perfectly suited. It's like a jewel in a perfect setting, like a diamond on a, on a ring that's been handled by, a, by a, a genuine craftsman. But then there are other times when it just seems awkward and contrived and fleshy and forced. And in those moments... Those people spoke because it seemed like the right cultural moment. The, the person has kind of learned that you, you know, that you, you build with this chorus and then you go to this chorus and then you go to this one and it builds up and you build to a certain moment and then it gets quiet and that's the signal. Now is when I'm supposed to do something. But here's what I want to say. Why should it always be that way? You know, why, why shouldn't it be, and I've seen it this way at, at times before, that, that there might be some time when we sing our songs, and we, we have our worship, and we sit down, and we have a prayer, and then someone stands up and speaks in tongues. Uh, by the way, uh, I want to say this, with, with all of these, with tongues, interpretation of tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, you know, when the Lord begins to speak to you, and you feel that, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's time to jump up and shout it out right then. Because if it's the Lord, it will keep until the right moment. It's not going to spoil, you know. You don't have to keep it in Tupperware in the refrigerator. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, but we get this idea, this, this sense of where it just seems to happen. It just at always at the same moment every time. And that's because uh, our cultural rules then become our order of service. You know, I mean, I've known Pentecostals and Charismatics that were so smug and we kind of, you know, smirk and make fun about the classical denominations because every, there's, there's no spontaneity, everything is lined out and whatever's in the bulletin is what they do every time. But here, here's what I want to say. In that case, we just don't always print our bulletins. We, we, we emboss ours on our brain. Uh, I, I'm just trying to make you think about a few things. Now, now then, let's move on. What then... You have the message in tongues. What is happening when somebody interprets a message in tongues? Now, I'll say this. The interpretation of tongues is not the same as translation. It's not the same. If you wait for the translation to be given to you, you know, like, like translating Spanish where, you know, buenos dias means good day or, or como esta means uh, how are you. If that's what you're waiting for, for a word by word translation, then you're never going to receive an interpretation in your life. You know, I'll put it this way. My wife, Julie, is an artist. She has a degree in art. I'm not an art expert, uh, but I've learned a thing or two from her. And so if you want to talk about this, talk about it with her, because I won't know anything more than what I'm about to talk about right now. But, uh, but, but if you know anything about art, then, then you'll know, you've, you've heard about the Impressionists. You know, and an Impressionist painter, you know, like, uh, like Renoir, right? right? <laughs> uh, Monet, you know, uh, others like them. Here's the thing. When they paint a tree, they don't paint a tree. They don't, they don't paint a tree. That's, they paint the impression, the, the interpret, their interpretation of a tree. So if you're standing up right next to the painting, it may look like a couple of awkward brown brush strokes in the middle of, of what looks like a field and a few other smaller green strokes. But then if you step back from it, it gives you the emotional sense of a tree and you look at it and say, oh, that's a tree. I can see that now, sort of. And I love some of these artists, but, but you know what? The thing is, they have never really painted anything because they, paint, they painted stuff they felt. That's what an impressionist does. They look at the scene and they say, this is my impression. This is what it makes me feel. And then they paint that. And when you look at their paintings, you can, you can feel uh, the, what they felt so much that you can actually enter their thoughts. And you can make out the images. You can see the trees. You can see people sitting around at a sidewalk cafe or something like that. But if there's not really any sense of realism in it, Right. Because when you're talking about realism, there, there are artists that painted in such realism that it's hard to believe that their work isn't a photograph. It looks so real. Well, listen, interpretation of, trunk, of tongues is a lot like that. 
You're not going to be able to, you're not going to understand this syllable means this in English or this means that in that sort of thing. As the message in tongues is being given, as it begins to flow, you receive in your spirit, you receive the gist of what's happening, the gist of what God is trying to say, and it begins to shake, to, to take shape and take form inside of you, and then it is brought forth in public declarations in terms of you. In other words, his message comes through you as you. And as I mentioned that earlier, you know, people ask all the time, you know, um, how can it be that someone can speak in tongues and someone else gives the interpretation, and, and they say, I kind of felt... Like maybe God was giving the interpretation and what they said, it was right, it was good to me, but it wasn't the words that I would have chosen. That's because the other person was giving the interpretation, not the translation, and you weren't. If you had acted and spoken out and given the interpretation, you would have said the same idea, the same message, but it would have been words that, that would flow out of your own vocabulary, your own experience, the way that you speak. That's how, how the Holy Spirit works. Now, so listen, you can have a, a person speak for 20 minutes in Spanish, and then you can ask two people who speak Spanish to stand up and give the interpretation, not the translation, but to stand up and to, and to say, what, give me what they said, tell me what they said, and they're going to give you the gist of what was said, and the way they say it, both of them, the way they say it uh, and the way they relay the interpretation may be quite different but the essence of what was said in Spanish is still there in both interpretations. Are we communicating? So, so when you talk about the interpretation of tongues in a service, it's not that you're waiting for God to say, oh, that syllable they said here means this word. It's, it's that sense of, uh, of, of that you, you, the Spirit begins to speak to your spirit saying, this is what I'm trying to say, this is what I'm trying to say, and it comes together, and then you begin to express what God is saying. And you take that step of faith in that moment. Now, um, there's, there's something else, other things I'd like to share there, but just for the sake of time, maybe one day we'll come back to it. There's one other way that tongues is used, and it is a biblical manifestation of this gift, but it, it is rare. In fact, we see this biblical manifestation in the book of Acts, chapter 2. But that is when uh, someone speaks in an earthly language, that they don't know. They're, they're simply given the gift of, lang of a language for a specific purpose, usually for evangelism. And uh, there's so many stories you can find about this happening. Uh, some years ago, there was a woman who, who stood up at, at Mount Perrin Church of God and in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and she spoke in tongues, and then the pastor uh, who was Dr. Paul Walker at the time, gave the interpretation, and they went on with the worship and finished the service out. And after the service, there was this group of people came up, and they were really, really excited. They came to the front of the church, and, and, and there was a man there with, uh, who was attending the church. Uh, they were, the first time they'd been there, and he brought up to the front with him three Chinese foreign exchange students, none of whom spoke any English at all. And, and these people came up, and they were just thrilled because the, the man who was with them spoke Chinese, but, but uh, this group just could not believe that a church of that size would go to all the trouble to arrange someone to greet them personally in Chinese, and then for the pastor to interpret it. They couldn't believe a church would do that. Well, well they didn't realize that they didn't know they did that. But, but the, that woman was speaking in Chinese to those Chinese students that were there, and they were hearing a message that God was trying to say to them for that very moment. You know, they asked him, he said, where did, where did your pastor learn Chinese? And I mean, they just thrilled behind, beyond words. And they said, well, he, he, they don't, we don't know Chinese here. There's another instance of this. Uh, you heard me talk about Dr. Mark Rutland. Um, he, he tells a story uh, about a time, actually often now when he tells this story, he, he'll say, uh, I know someone that this happened to. He won't even admit that it's him uh, just because he feels like he doesn't want any spotlight shown on him. But uh, there was a, a time many years ago he went on an evangelistic missions trip into North Mexico. And on that trip, he had invited his father-in-law to go. And his father-in-law went with him. But, but the interesting thing was his father-in-law was, was not a believer. In fact, didn't even believe God existed. He was an atheist. And uh, one night while they're on this trip, 
it, it was a night for, it was Dr. Rutland's turn to preach that night, and he was going to preach. But then as the service drew near, it was discovered. They, they realized they didn't have an interpreter there that night. Uh, he had come up sick or something like that. And so there was no one there that could interpret from English to Spanish. And so Dr. Rutland decided, he said, listen, this is what we'll do. He said, let me just get up. He had memorized this one phrase, this kind of greeting and welcome, welcoming, welcoming people in the name of Jesus in Spanish. That was the only phrase he had ever learned. And he stood up and, and he said, let me just get up and say that to the people. And then I'll turn it over to a Mexican pastor and he can preach that night. And they said, okay, that's a good idea. That's a good plan. So that night the service started and he got up on the platform and, uh, and he said that one phrase that he knew, you know, something like, welcome, we're so happy to see you. May God bless you. God is going to, you know, whatever it was, some simple little phrase, very simple. He got up and he said that phrase. And as soon as he got that out of his mouth, another Spanish phrase came to his mind. And somehow he knew what that meant and he spoke it out. So he said that. And that continued on. As he would finish one phrase, another phrase would come to, his, to, to him in Spanish, and he would speak it out, all the while knowing supernaturally what each phrase actually meant. He knew what he was saying to them, but it was coming to him in Spanish, and he, he, he could understand it and speak it. And it was funny because he tells a story. He said as, as he was preaching along, his father-in-law, who, as I said, was not a believer, he was sitting in the back of the church, and, and, and he, he spoke up, interrupted him right in the middle of the message, and he said, what are you doing? And Dr. Ellis said, I'm preaching in Spanish. And, and his father-in-law said, you don't speak Spanish. He said, I know. And then he went on preaching in Spanish. The rest of the, and, he, and they gave an altar call, and there were many people who got saved that night. In fact, he is still fluent in Spanish to this day. It was an absolute miraculous gift from God. Someone asked him years later, how do you speak Spanish? He says, I don't know how I know what to say in Spanish. They said, how do you know what's being said to you? He said, I don't know how I understand it. And all those, these years, he st after all these years, he still speaks Spanish, and he never studied never went to a class never had a single lesson God just gave it to him and listen it's it's nothing about him he, he wasn't he wasn't the one that did it it just it didn't mean that he's some great man of God or anything like that it just means that there were people there that night who needed to hear the gospel and gave God gave him this gift so they could hear it and God gave him Spanish in that moment for evangelism now, as I said, this is more rare, but it still happens today. You can read Acts chapter 2. They were speaking a language as they didn't know, but the people were hearing them speak the wonders of God. So we have several different classifications of tongues. We have the interpretation of tongues. And now finally, we'll finish up with this, the word of prophecy. And boy, I tell you, this is serious. Of all the gifts of the Spirit, this is the one I think that has been most abused and misused and the most maligned. I believe that prophecy is a precious gift. It's an important gift, but it is not something to be entered into lightly. Listen, when you say to somebody or to a group of people, thus says the Lord, you better have the goods. When you say, I'm speaking for God, God says this, you, you better really have heard from God. You know, we, we read in Scripture, you know, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And, and, and as modern Christians, we have taken that to refer to cursing, to saying God's name as a curse word. And, and that's not necessarily a bad application to it, but, but that's not really the full depth of what that commandment means. That commandment means that if you claim the authority of God for personal aggrandizement or for personal profit, then you have sinned against God because you have claimed, claimed his name for vain reasons. That commandment means that you cannot manipulatively use the authority of God. It's a prohibition against false prophecy. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God for vain purposes. It's, it's a very sobering thing. You know, honestly, in the Old Testament, they used to stone false prophets. And I'm not saying we ought to start stoning them today, but I am telling you this, it wouldn't take but about two of them. 
<laughs> it, would, it would cut out about 95% of all, of all the prophecies that are being given. Well, let's, say, let's ask this question. What is a word of prophecy? Because I think we need to start there if we're going to be functioning in this, if we want to make ourselves available for it, because sometimes there's a lot of misunderstanding of what is a word of prophecy. Well, first of all, it may be telling the future, because we often think of prophecy, you know, you go to a prophecy seminar and it's all about what the future brings, what the future is holding, all these things. However, it's actually more accurately because prophets of old, many times they did speak of the future, but that's not what their main function was. It's more accurately, the, the act of prophecy is the act of speaking forth what God once said to a specific person or persons in a specific moment. It's speaking forth for God. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is simply to say what God once said in the moment he wants it said. Now, now, if I can say this in all humility, I'm just saying this to help you understand this. Uh, you know, I don't want this to come off the wrong way. But, but listen, I'll use this illustration. There have been times when I felt that a specific sermon or at least parts of specific sermons, there have been times where I, where I felt that I was not exactly preaching for, for a short period of time. I, 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 and it was like, and I don't, I don't even know how to say this without making it sound goofy but it was this as if I had left preaching and entered the in, entered into the realm of, of a prophet of speaking what God is laying on my heart in that moment that, that God was giving me words to say in that specific moment for those specific people it, it's a divine moment it's a divine feeling it's a it's an unimaginable sense of awe that God would allow you to participate in what he's doing in that moment and there have been those times when I actually felt uh, that, that I was saying what God wanted me to say to somebody or to somebody's right in that moment. You know, it's like when you talk about the Old Testament, the, the prophet Samuel, the Bible says that, of Samuel that not one of, of his words fell to the ground. I love that. You know, it's like, it was like he would say a word and it was like, zing. You know, like missiles. Uh, aimed at the hearts of, its, of his hearers. How many of you remember, I think everybody here is probably old enough to remember uh, Operation Desert Storm. You, you remember that? You remember, that's when we all became of, uh, aware of the smart bombs, right? You remember those? They were amazing. Uh, you know, uh, you remember, the, you remember the, the one that went into the door of that factory? I don't know if anybody remembers this. You know, the bomb dropped down to street level, turned the corner, and then went into the door of a factory. You know, I mean, that's how you define a bad day. It's like, I wonder what the weather's like out. Ah! There's a bomb coming in the door. Well, listen, most of the time when I preach, I feel that I'm preaching the sermon God has given to me, and it goes forth, and I believe that God applies it to the hearts of those who, who hear. However, there have been other times, and, and maybe it's just a fraction of a second in the middle of a sermon, but, but when, when you say something that you can sense that what you just said just dropped to the ground level and it finds its target, that God gave you the right thing to say right in the right moment to just the right people. And man, that's awesome. I think the gift of prophecy is like that. But, but I will say this, as we said earlier, it's often abused, so be careful with the word of prophecy, either with you speaking those words or hearing them from others. You know, we, we've taken the word of prophecy in the charismatic world and modern Pentecostal world often to mean a personal word of prophecy. You know, where somebody says, God has told me to tell you. Well, I'm going to tell you, anytime somebody says that to me, walks up and says, God has told me to tell you, I brace myself. I'm just being honest. Uh, my initial thought is, yeah, okay, we'll see. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The Bible says to test the spirits. Just because somebody says it's from God, you, it doesn't mean it necessarily is. But, but, you know, if they say it, if it witnesses with my spirit, then that's great. If I sense that, that it's what God's also saying to me, then, then I receive that, you know, because the truth is I may not be a, you know, spiritual giant, but I do occasionally hear from God for my own life, and you do too. 
So you don't need anybody else to hear from God for your life. You don't need somebody to come and give you a prophecy about what you need to do. If, if they do, it should be something that he's already been dealing with you about. Otherwise, you need to just wait, hit the brakes and say, okay, I'm going to see what God, if God's in this or not. But don't let anybody direct your life by words of personal prophecy. I mean, it's frightening, friend. It, 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 listen, if I obeyed every word of prophecy that's ever been given to me, I would have graduated from five different Bible colleges and been pastor on four continents by now probably. You know, you just listen to God. The second thing is this. And that's on receiving. But here's the second thing. Before you look anybody in the eye and, see, and say, I think God has told me to tell you something. You, you need, you better humble yourself before the Lord. Offer that gift in humility. We've talked about that in previous weeks. That you offer the gift in humility and then it's up to that person to receive it as a word from the Lord or not. You don't get all worked up. You don't get huffy and say, when they say, no, I don't think that's for me. You don't say, oh, wait a minute. I heard from God, you know, wrestle them in the ground and say, you, you better hear this. You know, you just offer the gift hum in humility. You know, over and over again, when I feel God is directing me to say something to somebody, I, I try, to, try to take a, an angle where, first of all, People understand that I'm not putting myself up on some kind of spiritual pedestal, uh, but also to, to uh, make sure that all the glory goes to, to God. Because, because sometimes I'll say, look, I, I may be missing God here. I say, if this is from the Lord, you'll know it and it will witness w with your heart. But if it's not, then just let it blow right past you and don't listen to me. But this is what I think God is saying. Because you know what? It, it, it terrifies me to think that somebody would hear something from me born out of my flesh and receive it in their flesh as a word from God and then misdirect their life. You know, that just, that just frightens the wits out of me. That's, I don't want that. You know, I don't want that kind of power over somebody. I want them to hear from God. And when I speak to them, I want it to be from God and I want it to be something that will confirm what he's already saying to their hearts. Because they can hear from God. You can hear from God. However, there is also that, that divine moment when God so guides you to speak the right word at just the right moment. So while I say we need to be cautious, don't be frozen. You know, there, there was a woman who was part of a church and, and she just had a heart of bitterness. And they had a visitor in church one Sunday, and he, he, he stood up. He's sitting on the front row. And he stood up, and he said, you know, I'm a visitor here. He said, please forgive me, but I was just sitting here on the front row of your church. I've never been here before. I'm passing through. I don't ever be, expect to be back again. He said, I don't normally do anything like this. But he said, Pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to say something. Well, I'm telling you right now. I, just like this pastor, just like him, I'd be the same way because normally as a pastor would never let anybody just stand up and say something without knowing what they're going to say. I've been down that road. <laughs> that can get really weird really quickly. But, but there was something about that man's countenance and he looked at him and he just felt in his spirit. He said, all right, friend, say on. We'll weigh it and we'll discern it in our hearts. And uh, that man stood up and he said, I just feel that there's somebody in this church this morning that's supposed to forgive from their heart. And he said, and unless you do, you'll die. And, and as the Lord lives, the, the moment he said that, that woman dropped right out of her pew onto her knees and she said, oh, it's me. It's me. And, and I mean, listen, that pastor, I'm, I've been there where, where, <laughs> where I have a guest speaker come in or something and they say the same thing that I've said like 15 times on 15 consecutive Sundays and then somebody will come up to me afterwards and say I have never heard that before and I just want to just grab them and say <laughs> just listen would you but but you listen that pastor he he had he had been preaching to that woman he had he had been trying to to, to send smart bombs her way for three years and that that man walked into the church and and, and laid one on her, on her just like that. And she broke and she was healed and she was delivered. 
That man spoke out exactly what God wanted to be said at exactly the right moment, and it was beautiful, and it was powerful. And these gifts are beautiful. These gifts are powerful. We've just got to not be afraid to let God use us in them. Tongues, interpretation tongues, word of prophecy. The, the fact that they're to be used with caution, carefully, in deep love and humility does not mean that they're, that they're not to be used. It just means that the more effective we want to become in these gifts, the higher our love level must be for God to trust us with them. You know, I found in general that the, the, these gifts have a tendency, and I'm not saying always, but this is, this is just my observation. I found that, that, that those in whom these gifts seem to be functioning at the highest level seem to be the people who have to struggle the most against arrogance and presumption. It's easy to fall into that place where you begin to get prideful over the gifts that God is using you in, which is really an oxymoron. And so I say, if, if you find that you speak in tongues or God has used you in giving a message in tongues or you've been used in interpretation or you've been effective in the word of prophecy, then I say to you, submit yourself in brokenness before God and pray that, we'll, that God will put, put twice as much love in you as there is tongues. and that he, that, he'll, he'll, that he will put twice as much love and grace in you as there is interpretation, put twice as much love in you as there is prophecy. Because listen, there is nothing more brutal and nothing more caustic and nothing more costly than a loveless prophet. Someone who, who rips into people without an ounce of love. A, a loveless prophet, prophet just takes the sword and just whacks people. And it can become out and out destructive. Because even when you're speaking in prof, prophetically, you always speak the truth in love. In love. In fact, that's why 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but in the middle of that, the famous 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, Paul says, listen, all of these gifts, they're valuable, they're powerful, they're, they're, they're necessary, they're, they're wonderful, but they have to be functioning in love or they're meaningless. So we're going we're gonna to stop there tonight. We're out of time. Next week, we're going to begin looking at the motivational gifts from Romans chapter 12. And I think you'll find it very interesting, very, uh, I hope very encouraging, very inspiring as we begin to look at those. And you'll be able to see uh, how, the God, how God has gifted you to function in the church. And when he puts all the pieces together, it becomes a really beautiful picture. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for the gifts of the Spirit, and Lord, how...